This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I don't know which flavor. I, obviously, they're not the same person. But when I think of them offensively, I think of them similarly. And both are recording very well. Uh, Sooners are bringing in some hellacious talent, too. And the Sooners, the Sooners might have the best transfer portal group. I haven't thought about all the various teams yet, so maybe I'm skipping somebody out here. But they may have the most impressive transfer portal. And they're going to be ranked in the top three or four by pretty much everybody for this season coming up. And Crazy Charlie 615 there on Twitter. I have not looked at all at the markets. We've been read several days in a row now, but I have not looked this morning. I could not tell you what's happening. I don't know why. I've been so involved. I couldn't even look at the markets this morning. At Dillis King. I appreciate Josh. That was a really good story. Close close memories there of the famed Daryl Royal, to say the least. That is that is impressive. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. Bye, bye.
And welcome in everybody to the Landry Football Podcast for this Thursday, May 20th. We apologies, we were out yesterday, literally out. So those of you that join us, and we appreciate you joining us every Wednesday for Scout's Eye on Football. Um, many of you may know by now, I live in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Uh, we are fine, it is still raining here, uh, but there's been a lot of flooding in the city. And it knocked out internet for, well, I didn't get internet back to yesterday afternoon. So we were um, we were unable to, that's one thing, got generator power and had uh, no Wi-Fi, no internet. Every time you go to do something, it wasn't. So we were not able to do the show. Uh, that is uh, typically when we join you for Scout's Eye on um, Wednesdays at 9 a.m. Um but welcome in today to the uh, the most recent edition of the Landry Football Podcast on uh, Thursday, May 20th. And we've got uh, a few things we're going to get to. A little bit of a smorgasbord. I've got, based on some questions um, that have come in, we always will take your questions, your thoughts on, on things. Um, we want to, uh, I'm going to get into a little bit of, something that's been asked of me on kind of fixing the Pac-12 and college football as a whole, but particularly as it relates to the Pac-12 and what's been going on there. And I know it's very easy to dismiss people or dismiss coaches, teams, players, conferences, but we're going to get into, you know, what has been in the past and what is now and some of the problems they've had, kind of the history of, um, you know, a football going from back from uh, the old days to modern times and which change and how it's changed over the times. Because I think a lot of people are, you know, focused on football from the standpoint of what it's been maybe since, you know, they're, since they've been watching it. And depending on who you are and who that is, um, you may have a different view of of kind of what, well, it's always been this. Well, no, it's always been that since you've been alive, but uh, things have changed over the years. And we're going to kind of go into a little bit of that just from a historical standpoint and kind of what's the best way to uh, to approach maybe fixing some of the issues that they've had. So we're going to get into that. Uh, a reminder over at LandryFootball.com, we are in full mode of breaking down um College football, the NFL, the rosters, the team rosters, the best players coming back at each position. For example, we've got the best players at each position, pretty much all of them. We've got the defensive tackles coming up in a little bit, linebackers, secondary, uh, safety, corners. But we've got top returning players in college ball. Now, that's not necessarily the best pro prospects. Those are the top returning players in college football. So you can check that out over at LandryFootball.com. It's part of the, the the general gradual preview, feeding it to you a little bit of, to get you prepared from a coaching, scouting standpoint. Certainly feel free to send in comments and questions on things you might want that, me to address here. But certainly breaking down that, breaking down all the college and pro rosters is what we're doing this time of year, as well as keeping you up to date in our notebooks. What's going on? in off-season workouts in the NFL, uh, obviously recruiting in college ball, the transfer portal. Uh, folks, as I say, it's it's going to take all the time I have and then some to get everything done before we kick it off in the fall. It'll be here before you know it. I know you're probably chomping at the bit, but while you're doing it, we're going to feed you some stuff that you're going to absolutely love over at LandryFootball.com. So if you haven't taken advantage of the scouting season offer, the big sale that we have, you can uh, do that today over at LandryFootball.com. Um, news of the day, it's official. Tim Tebow has signed his contract with the Jags, and he's going to be in the off-season workout participation today. Uh, the official signing was, you know, people said, well, it hadn't been done yet. That's just because what is typical is that you have the signing on a player like this as he reports. So, okay, we're going to sign you. We're agreed to it. It's not like a, a heavy negotiated deal. It's a minimum veteran deal. So he shows up. 
he signs it, and then he's going to have his, you know, his begin workouts thing. Not tryouts. It's, it's workout. And just kind of, I'm going to put a little bow on it again for you to kind of recap for those that have not heard my discussion on this. Because a lot of people are still, you know, it's, it's the polarizing topic. I don't know if it's the time of year people are looking for things to talk about. But it's amazing the polarizing view of, I mean, the vitriolic hate either for Tebow or just the absolute love that he's the greatest thing. And it's very little in the middle. And the reality, it's right in the middle. I've said before, there's a close relationship between he and Urban Meyer. Um, there's, in Tim's eyes, one more chance to kind of, it's a challenge. He embraces challenges. This is one he believes he can make a difference. Time will tell whether he can or not. But there'll be closure to his football career, uh, just like there was to his baseball career recently. There'll be closure to his football career after this is over. However it ends, this is going to bring it. And if it ends with him at least making the final roster or being on IR or PUP for three games, He'll get NFL pension. All of that is in play. And as I've explained before, it is not unusual for someone to hire, to sign a player that they're familiar with. It does not mean you do a favor for somebody that can't play. If he can't play, if he can't help, then he's not going to make it. And it's not, that's going to be, the story will then, well, you see, I told you he could. Yeah, it's very likely that could happen. If he does make it, the chances of him, him contributing in a big way are, are very marginal, very, very unlikely. But, you know, again, um, there's only one guy that is willing to kind of give him that opportunity and somebody that's very close with him um, that um, is willing to do that. And, and to kind of give him some closure. And then I think in Urban's eye, it's not a case where Urban, again, said, boy, I need to find a tight end. What I really need is a backup tight end that could do all sorts of things. He didn't go out really seeking this. I think he's kind of bought into the idea, you know what, it gives Tim some, Tim some closure, gives him an opportunity, and maybe, just maybe, he can do some things for us in certain packages and on special teams and maybe some blocking things at the tight end position, and, and we'll go from there. Tim hasn't played tight end since he was a freshman in high school. Uh, I don't think there's great expectations, um, but the reality is it's it's we're at a point now where it's a it's a ninety. You can have up to ninety. It's you you don't count against the cap yet. That doesn't take place until we get to the final roster. So I'm sure you're going to hear everything about it's camp today. It's Jacksonville. It's Team Tebow, and it's you're following all that. So. I don't want to get into all of that and I really don't care to, you know, have all this and I hate this and he's done that, whatever. I mean, it's fair game forever, what you want. To me, it's way blown up, but I understand why it's blown up. So we're going to do that. We're going to get into some Big 12 discussions, uh, excuse me, Pac-12 discussions. Uh, I've got a couple of other questions that we have here about, uh, about NFL drafts and NFL draft histories and some have asked me about stadiums in college football and the NFL, the best ones I've been to. Um, you know, a, lot, a lot of things. We'll, we'll get to Let's see. Let's get to it as many as we can. Do want to address, and again, thank those of you that join us in the chat room. I see Rich Coates and Tony Finn joining us. We appreciate that, and it's a good way to get your thoughts out and is a good way to um, get your questions out there. And a reminder that um, you can watch us on Twitch TV if you're not doing it, but Rich and Tony are, and we encourage you, if you're listening to this, you can watch this show live on twitch.tv slash chrislandryfootball or click follow Chris on Twitch over at landryfootball.com. Follow us by clicking the heart button, uh, and please join us in the chat room. Subscribe to our channel, Chris Landry Football. It's a great way of supporting what we do. It allows you to be the Chris Landry Football Insiders, part of the family that we have. If, you, if, if you're an Amazon Prime member, it's included in your membership. Just click on subscribe and follow the directions. If you're not an Amazon Prime member, you can subscribe by clicking on the same subscribe button and follow the directions there. So please spread the word if you would. 
to your friends and have them do the same, help grow this little family. We want to really build it this offseason, this summer. Build it and begin to get into real discussions of football going into the summer and, you know, breaking it down and get everybody excited so we have a big, full, fun family to interact with during this football season. So spread it. Uh, you can listen to this program on a phone, on a computer, all mobile devices, even on your smart TV. And you can watch by going to LandryFootball.com. Then click on follow Chris on Twitch. So we're also looking for business partners to help um, folks promote their businesses and their brand. Uh, with listeners locally, nationally, and regionally, we can absolutely do this for you. So contact us at uh, Chris at LandryFootball.com or um, click on uh, contact Chris over at uh, LandryFootball.com and be sure to follow me on Twitter at LandryFootball. A couple questions. Rich says, can you please explain the whole Jawan James situation where he blew out his Achilles working out away from the Denver facility? They're not going to pay uh, for his uh, salary. Thoughts? There is in the contract if you are, and it, there's some debate over whether this should be the case. When you work under the reason why you want players, with the understanding that many are not going to do so. If you work out in a supervised setting, in our facility, you're covered. If you're going to work out on your own and do your own thing, there's a risk involved with that. If not only, and I know people say, well, you know, he wasn't skydiving, he wasn't on a motorcycle, which people kind of understand. It. He was working out in football. Look, you know the rules. Do it at the facility. Do it under supervision. You don't have to deal with it. Well, it's not fair. He's working on his own. He's doing everything. You don't know exactly what's going on. There's a risk involved. You can, and it, I'm sure it'll be something that'll be looked at. But the reality is you know the rules going in. And you, if you decide to work out on your own, then you uh, you run the risk of that happening. It does sometimes depend on a player. It does depend on what's been communicated as well. But I think those things are really important to understand that that is part of it. So when they say, well, they're not going to pay for it, whether well, they're not just coming out with that, we're not going to cover it, not going to pay him for his salary, they're not just, hey, look, you did that. This is what, this is what our response is. No, that's that's in the contract. That's the rule. That's no one going in. So my thoughts are, look, I, I'm old school. Those of you that follow me know that. I like my players to be a facility working out. That's just not happening as much today. The world used to be different. It used to be that you had a complete offseason from January through July 4th. And then right after July 4th, guys came in. You had six preseason games. You had weeks of two-a-day, sometimes three-a-day practices with large rosters. And you did it to get guys in shape. Guys worked off-season jobs. They came in, got themselves in football shape. And then off you go and you play and develop and work in the football season. Over time, as the money's gotten greater and greater, players do their own thing. There's not as much off-season work. There's not as much um, physical activity and, and that's supervised because it's not in the collective bargaining agreement. It's not somebody in football that is making this decision. It's collectively bargained. And so the world's changed. Guys want to live in Miami or Atlanta or wherever they want to live. They don't want to live at the facility. It's their right. But if you do so, and it's not supervised, it's in your contract, you don't have to pay you. And that's what they decided, and I got no problem with that. You don't know the circumstances of their workouts and how they're doing it. Um, and that, that creates a greater risk. Uh, Tony says, wondering your thoughts on Buckeyes quarterback situation. Do they have the talent to compete for a championship? They do. The quarterback situation is a little bit um, obviously in transition. Um, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious that when you, 
if you look at it over at LandryFootball.com, you'll see that um, maybe the top two receivers in the country are at Ohio State. With I think Olave and Wilson, they're really good. But Stroud's really good. Um, redshirt freshman, that's that's outstanding. And look, I think because it's a quarterback friendly offense in that style, I think they create spacing and coverage by design. They've got so much more talent. I think their offensive line is outstanding. Um, look at how some of those guys rank out. The defense is going to be good again. They're, they're clearly the more the most talented team in the Big Ten. Um, I think they'll be in good shape. I think they'll be better as the year goes along. Uh, and, yes, I think they're a playoff caliber team. Can they win the championship? I think the question right now every year is, can Alabama be dethroned? Well, yeah, they can. Will they? And that's the better question. Will they? Well, don't know. I mean, Ohio State's one of those teams. Look, if you're looking at national championship caliber teams, what you're really looking at is who's capable of making the playoffs. In the Big Ten, there's really only one, and that's Ohio State. In the ACC, there's really only one, that's Clemson. In the Pac-12, it's debatable if there's one really question. I think in the Big 12, there's one in Oklahoma. Um, I think you've got two in the SEC. And I think you've got Alabama and Georgia. So you've got two from the SEC, one from the ACC, one from the Big 10, one from the Big 12. Um, and then, you know, that's five. And, and then we'll see if an Oregon, USC, I think they're on the outside looking in. Now, what I what I would suggest to you is that, all right, who are the four? So you can go as far as six. You could maybe even make the case early in the year that you may have as many as eight that could be the four, but you really only got a half a dozen teams that really are contenders in four spots. And so Ohio State's one of them. So absolutely they got a shot. Now, we have seen as we talk, and talk is real and I think absolutely going to happen, we're going to have expansion in the playoffs. Keep in mind that making the playoffs, I mean, it's great. But I think we've seen very few competitive games in the playoffs. So making the playoffs is one thing. Good enough to win the national championship is is a whole different level step. And I think Ohio State is in that mix. But Alabama will have to come down a little bit. I think that Alabama and Georgia are better defensively than Ohio State. And maybe by a pretty big margin. Even though Ohio State's got some good defensive linemen, Georgia and Alabama have more. And they have more skilled guys on the back end that can do more things. Now, it's not going to affect Ohio State in the Big Ten, but it could affect them, and we'll see come playoff time. Now, Clemson will be good, and I think Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma are kind of in that that three-team cluster, and then then I think it's about, um, you know, Alabama replacing some offensive linemen, some receivers with really good talent but not much experience, quarterback as well. Uh, but Alabama's defense is going to be really, really good. It's going to be awfully tough for anybody to beat them. Now, if there's anybody that can knock out Alabama, um probably from within their conference. It means that Alabama's going to have to come back to the pack. Something's going to have to happen. A significant injury, what have you. They lose a game. Um, they somehow lose a second game, which is extremely rare for them. And then, you know, maybe it's Georgia, maybe it's A&M. Now, it, it, I think it's more likely that uh, Ohio State of Clemson and Oklahoma could maybe beat a Georgia or beat an A&M than they could in Alabama. But we'll see. I, I, I do think 
Ohio State is absolutely in the mix. And it could be that by the time we get to middle of the season, I mean, it, it may be the best-looking team in the country. Don't know. We just certainly can look at the rosters, look at what's coming back, look at the talent of the young guys and what I project them to be, and that's kind of how I see it in the mix. But I don't know if they are um, – how high or how much in the mix they're going to be. Great questions there from Tony and Rich. We certainly appreciate them. And, um, again, join us and send us your thoughts and questions there. I want to talk a little bit about, speaking of, are they good enough? The Pac-12 hasn't been good enough. And if you look at Washington making the playoffs, didn't fare very well. Oregon is certainly a good program and I think has achieved quite a bit. Um, but not, you know, what I would call elite level, that, you know, a consistent playoff caliber level. USC has been the biggest culprit. USC is not USC. USC is the type of program, like Ohio State, like Alabama, like Clemson, like any of those with Oklahoma, they should be in the mix every year. We should say, like we throw in Oklahoma, has always got a chance. As we throw in Ohio State, we always have a chance. We should be saying the same thing about USC. We're not. You could probably say we should be saying the same thing about Texas, too. There's some, not the only programs like that. But as it relates to the Pac-12, when your Belkow program is no longer an elite level, you got a problem. Now, you could say that, Clay Helton's had a good recruiting class, and he's been up and down, and maybe it's going to turn, and maybe the patience with him, it'll start to click. Maybe. Oh, USC's good. USC's talented. USC puts good players in the NFL. They'll have a number of good players, and you can read about them on LandryFootball.com that are coming back. And But there's an inconsistency there. There's a lack of a dominant feel and presence with that program. That just makes them good, and they haven't even been national playoff good. We've had representatives from the Pac-12 in the national playoffs, and been USC since we've won there. That's, you know, can't happen. For USC, and it can't happen for the, for the Pac-12. It doesn't mean they need to make it every year, but they certainly need to be in the conversation, and they have not been. So where do you go from here? If um, and I, I I've got to learn how to pronounce George's name. Klavikov, MGM, new commissioner of the Pac-12. Look, Larry Scott came from the outside. It didn't work. I'm not going to summarily in today's world. I grew up where a lot of the commissioner type people and athletic director type people were more from. Maybe the coaching end of some sport. The world's changing. I don't know how George is, is going to do. From my understanding, talking with folks, he has a keen understanding of what has not worked under Larry Scott and what needs to be done. A couple of things that jump out at me. Um, one is the fact that the marketing of the whole league. They do have some challenges. They're on a time frame where they've got to do a better job of mixing up their schedule, and I think they've done some of it. So I think some of their bigger games have got to be in position to play in what you'd call the prime time afternoon Um, slot in the early evening slots to where everybody in the country could see it. USC, Oregon, whoever, how good they are, you know, you know that by watching them. I don't think you can live off of, you know, all the late night games. It's more convenient to your local fans. So you got to have a mixture of it because if you're playing an afternoon game, you're you're playing a basically a noon game on the West Coast, and that may not be ideal for locals. Here's what I think needs to be done from a television standpoint. I think their premier games need to be 
in more of the prime time slot. Meaning, and I don't mean it could be like 6 or 7 Eastern or in the afternoon, you know, more where more eyes balls can see. And then I think you have maybe some of the other games that wouldn't get the focus amongst the top games of the weekend. They could be in that like 9.30, 8.30, 9.30, you know, 10.30 Eastern Central area. Because then you got people that are the night owls that want to watch it or the idiots like me that just were watching football at 2 in the morning. You can see those, and there's no competition with them. So you take the lesser games, the lesser teams, give them exposure by giving them their time slot where nothing else is on or very few's on, and you take the bigger games and you put it up. You have a good Oregon-Washington game. USC and Oregon ranked, you know, both in the top 10. That needs to be in a time slot that's going to matter. Now, maybe you don't want to go up against the best um, SEC game at the 2.30 Central time slot. Okay, makes sense. But maybe you want to go at the 5.30 Central time slot. Uh, That means you don't want to go in the noontime slot, because that's like 9 in the morning. I think that's a little bit, that's a little bit off. I, I think, I don't know that playing games at 9.30 in the morning, um, West Coast time for the noon slot. I mean, I maybe it's me, but you think of the noon games as kind of a Big 10-ish, Big 12-ish, You'll have some early SEC games. you have some ACC games. But I think Pac-12 kind of needs to start with kind of the noon, 1 o'clock Pacific games, which puts you at, you know, 3, 3.30. And again, if you want to start them at maybe 4 o'clock, 4.30, get you some eyeballs. I think that needs to be done. The, the other thing that they've got to partner up the Pac-12 network. They've got to restructure that to where that gets more eyeballs. When half the people in the state of California can't get that channel, you got a problem. You got a absolute problem. You gotta, whether it's a partnership with Fox like the Big Ten or the partnership with um, ESPN like the ACC and the SEC, they gotta get something like that. And maybe You've got to do that to where you can start having the type of money that comes in. Because what has happened to the Pac-12? Well, out west, we've talked about this. On the, I talked about this on the local show. I was asked, what's wrong with West Coast football? Well, there's a couple of things. Main thing is, and it's a chicken egg thing. And I appreciate you guys' questions. I'm going to get to them here in a minute. A little bit off topic, but I want to finish this. If you look at the rate of youth football being played in this country, it's gone down significantly, about 12% a year. It's gone down, it's about double that out west. Um, Yeah, the more things to do, the people are more scared about CTE and all of that. But there's still a ton of players, ton of players in Southern California alone let alone the entire state, that could fund an entire league of Pac-12 football that is really good. That is really, really good. I mean, you can you can have, if you do a good job in that state of California, that entire league, you can have just about everybody in your league as a top 25, top 35 caliber team. Start there. And if you're a USC you can be, you know, again, top five program. There's no reason why UCLA shouldn't be top 20 every year. Oregon, Washington, absolutely. You see, Utah is the great developmental program out in the Pac-12, like Iowa, like Wisconsin is in the Big Ten. Um, you you got to, you know, everybody's got their own niche, but you have a lot of potential there. But how do you do it? Well, You've had issues in the past. There's not been a lot of money. There's not been a lot of leadership. And now the, the elite players are leaving the, the very elite. They're going to 
you know, ukulele at um, um, ungulele at, at, at Clemson. Going, you know, you get um, kids going to Alabama, Najee Harris. You know, I mean, you, you, all those, they're, they're going, if you're an elite player and you're in California and you want to go to the best football programs in the country, right now, you're heading south. And, you know, it's not maybe a lot of, you know, numbers, but but the elite ones, that's what you're thinking. If you don't mind moving, if you don't mind going in a different part of the country. Because that's, you go look at the facilities in the SEC and facilities in the Pac-12, it's, it's, it's a huge difference. So just to put this in comparison, because I've been to all these facilities, and I'm talking, folks, I'm not talking about the stadiums. Got a question about the stadiums, by the way, and maybe we'll get to that today. I'm not talking about the stadiums. I mean, that's a part of it. But the biggest part is the football facilities, the nutrition center, uh, the weight room, the training room, the academic centers, all of those things. They're Taj Mahal's on the SEC, and they have been good facility-wise for 25 years. And what the Pac-12 schools are starting to do, Colorado's got a nice new one. Arizona's got a new one pretty good. Arizona's got a pretty good one. I mean, USC improved, uh, you know, off of Heritage Hall for years, several years ago. Um, um, UCLA's finally got their nutrition center. and get, They're getting there. But remember, on the arms race, they're like, you know, they are, to use the horse racing analogy, the SEC and the Clemsons of the world, they, they are um, around the stretch. Here they come, and... The Pac-12 is finally out of the gate. They're 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 just finishing their first furlough. So they they're kind of chasing in the arms race. It's kind of like when I compared the Florida State fans bitching and complaining that we never had the great facilities and Bobby Bowden. We got by with this and Jimbo. Yeah, Jimbo left because he couldn't get facilities that look like the SEC facilities that he's recruiting against, and they sure as hell don't look like Clemson facilities on which he's got to beat every year. So because you've dragged your feet, and look, I can't tell you how to spend your money. If you don't have it, you don't have it. But you want to know why certain programs have slipped? That's why. I don't understand how we go got to get a coach from Memphis at Florida State because you can't get an elite coach. An elite coach, a Mark Stoops goes, looks at you and says, I got better facilities at Kentucky. And I've been there with Jimbo, and it doesn't look like it. And you want me to be elite, but you don't do anything fundraising-wise that's elite. Oh, it's getting better at Florida State, but it's not. So if you want to be with the big boys, you got to figure out a way to make the money. That's the Pac-12. They haven't been that way. They haven't been that way for a long time. Well, they haven't been that way, period. But they manage things well when the facilities weren't the big thing. You've heard me tell you the Nebraska theory. Nebraska was the first one that had the biggest, most opulent weight rooms and football operations center before anyone else did. And so when you went to visit Nebraska, A, they were on TV twice a year when most that's the most you could ever be on. You go to Nebraska and it looked like this is football heaven. Well, now... Everybody's got their version of football heaven. If you're a Dallas kid, you might you might prefer to stay and go to TCU than go to, to Lincoln, Nebraska. Because their facilities are great everywhere now in most places. A lot of people have money. It's changed. Well, the Pac-12 has just fallen behind in facilities and the infrastructure of their program. So they've got to create revenue. So it's a chicken-egg thing, right? you got to have success to breed success. But if you're the Pac-12, you've got to leverage everything to to get into the market share and to get more known and seen. Oregon's done a good job of marketing who they are and what they are. The other thing that's a problem for the Pac-12 that you may or may not be aware of out there, they got more sports than anybody around. Now, I shouldn't say a lot. I don't know how many. Several sports were dropped in the Pac-12 due to COVID. 
But I'm talking about where you might have 20 sports. If you're an SEC school, there's upwards of 32 sports in the Pac-12. I mean, sports that you just wouldn't, I mean, cost scholarship money, cost travel money, you know, hotel money, everything. Okay? You're, you're making less money as an athletic department, and you got more mouths to feed. Look, I'm not going to sit here and tell folks and be an elitist and say, look, drop water polo and stuff that matters a lot because it's a very liberal area, part of the country. I get all that. But, you know, anybody that knows my feelings is you got to do what you got to do, and it is a business. And the sports that don't make money better figure out how to slim budgets up. And if you give them an opportunity to have money, you know what? Maybe they don't. They're not not. They don't travel first class. They get in buses and all that stuff. I know that. It still costs. It still costs a hell of a lot of money when you look at the expenditures of a water polo team, and they bring in no money. Every money you spend out, it's just like throwing it away. You're not getting it back. I get it. Part of a great environment. I, I support those kids and love them. I think it's great. If you can get somebody in education because they can have water polo, I'm all for that. But it's got to be paid for. And so you're, you're dealing with a lot of obstacles. So I think he has to look at things. I think that you're going to see Las Vegas become a bigger footprint because of his ties, bigger footprint for the conference. Name, image, and likeness might have a lot of things. But, again, what are the guardrails on name, image, and likeness? Are they going to allow a lot of the gambling stuff? You know, I think the gambling money concept could certainly bring in some money for the Pac-12. I do think with the Raiders Stadium there, uh, Allegiant Stadium, could be a bigger factor. I think you could maybe see the offices being there down the road. They're in Pac-12 offices are in San Francisco now. You could see that. You know, conventions and things, and, um, you know, I think all of that could create some exposure. We'll see whether George uh, Klavkov can, can do that or not. Um, they've got to get to the point where they can compete with SEC teams. <clears throat> but it would help if USC gets the ball rolling, because USC is the one program that can do it. I think that's going to come with an elite coach, and they don't have that right now. So some other some questions I want to get to. Um, Wondering if you can explain how the supplemental draft works and why players are rarely drafted. Tony asked that question. Supplemental drafts are players whose eligibility has been lost from the end of the April draft until July when we have the supplemental draft. And they'll, they'll announce the official date. <clears throat> I haven't gotten the official memo. I think I know what day, what day it's going to be, though. Um, so circumstances, guys ineligible, guys, something's happened to him, he's flunked, he's got appeal, and if he's, he, he has no eligibility in college, he can be eligible for the supplemental draft. The reason why most are not drafted, because you don't have many good players in it, uh, we're, we get a list of everybody eligible for the supplemental draft, and we have scouting reports on all of them. Very, and I do them, I even have them on Landry Football, very few of them can play. Oh, yes, they've been. Bernie Corsar did it. There's, There have been some loopholes in the past that have been closed. So you've had guys in the past that graduated early, like in the summer semester, so they can be eligible. And instead of waiting, and so you've had some of those. Some of those loopholes have been closed, but the reason why... The supplemental draft works as guys that are not eligible. they got no place to go. They're not eligible for college, so they're eligible to be drafted. Doesn't mean they have to be, okay? And very few of them are because there are very few of them that are good enough uh, to play. The reason why you don't – the other reason why you you don't see them getting drafted, it's, it's the same reason. But if you draft a player in a supplemental draft, Tony, you lose that corresponding pick in next year's draft. So the way the supplemental draft works is um, you will go through and round one 
anybody that wants to draft a player, send it in. And they'll they'll send in who they would want to draft in the first round. Now that that hadn't been since Kozar. It's been a long time since somebody's been number one first round pick. So if you put in for you know you send in, we want to um, draft Joe Blow from wherever first round, then you get him. And that means you give up your first round pick in next year's draft because you've just exercised it in a supplemental draft. Uh, if you've got multiple teams that put in to draft Joe Blow, well then the team with the highest draft order from the past draft gets it. So if, if Jacksonville takes him and, you know, um, the Packers take him, then he goes to Jacksonville. And and you go, usually there's no one in the first, and you go to the second, do the same thing, third, fourth, fifth. You go through seven, and occasionally you'll get a guy that you think is worthy enough that you're projecting that, you know what, It's we'd be willing to give up a fourth-round pick, a fifth-round pick, a sixth-round pick, a seventh-round pick for him, and you may take that guy in a corresponding draft. Um, you know, I'll... Um, I did it with Joe Horn uh, one year. And they're, 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 they're players that can be worthy, but there are very few of them. So the reason that they're not good enough and they're not free, you're not given a – you're not just, hey, everybody's got a supplemental draft. Well, then you'd have people take a flyer on people. But you have to give up a pick in next year's draft. Um, Michael Smith, good morning. I'm also the idiot that enjoys all the bowl, all the bowl games. Yeah, me too, Michael. What do you think the NFL can do? Jeffrey, hey, Jeffrey, Jeffrey said, what do you think the NFL can do to make Thursday night games better? There's no way possible for a team to play Sunday and then turn around and be able to play Thursday, especially with injuries. Jeffrey, I'm in agreement with you. My theory is this, and I've said this. What I think the NFL should do, and I'm going to tell you the con to this, but... I believe the NFL season should be 16 games, and I believe it should be over 20 weeks. Meaning you have double buys, and you would never play a Thursday night game unless you had a bye week the week before. So, look, here's the thing about it. Thursday night games are not going away. It's money. Amazon just paid $1 billion with a B for the rights to the Thursday night games. They're not turning that down. I mean, they'll pay, they'll play, you know, in a dress if you ask them to, in high heels for that type of money. I mean, that's just, that's the reality. Let's just call it what it is. They talk about health and protection. They don't care about health. What they're doing is to try to give the perceived belief that we care about health. Because if we do that, it helps us when we're litigated against that you're not doing anything to protect players and all the CTE and we're suing, well, look, we're doing this. We change the rules, we change this, yada, yada, yada. Well, yeah, we're going to do it to a point. But we ain't going to do it to where we're going to leave a billion dollars on the table. I'll tell you that. So... I think if you had multiple buys, you could space the schedule where you wouldn't play um, anybody but a um, off of a bye week the week before. The other thing that I think, and they already do a lot of this, <clears throat> I would play as much as I can only division games. And the reason for that is you're more familiar with your division team. So this, okay, A, if you got the bye week, you know, before, it's not as big of a factor. But the one thing that can help is it helps you to prepare if you know the team a little better, particularly if you're playing them for the second time. It helps in the preparation. I'm, I'm going to my, you know, coaching and scouting in. Selfishly, it helps to prepare because – 
if you've already played the team four weeks ago, you've already broken down the tape, and you got less tape to break down when you play them next week. Those are the two things that are factor. You are right. Thursday games are not good quality. They're not conducive to health. They're a big issue, and I believe that. Now, why wouldn't you want to have the 20 weeks with 16 games? Well, again, you know what it's about money. So right now, as you probably know, NFL Sunday ticket is the package in which you can get all the NFL games on Sunday. That's not just the games in your area. So you'll get three games in your area. You'll get a Fox game and a CBS game, and one of those you'll have two games. Whoever has the doubleheader weekend, you get that. So you got three games that you can watch on Sunday on your local air. And then you certainly can catch the Monday, Sunday night game and the Monday night game and the aforementioned Thursday night game. But the package that allows which is right now with DirecTV. Now, I don't know when that contract is up. I don't know if that's going to be a ESPN Plus or another one of the streaming or Amazon getting into that to where it's a, you know, whatever. Be that as it may for right now with DirecTV. That's the ability to catch every other game. If you have multiple, the more buys you have, when, when, when there's buy weeks, they're less of those games available. So it makes the package a little bit less meaningful, valuable. And so they're, they're straddling the fence. They don't want to have to give away a nickel. They don't want to have to. They want to be able to make every package the best one. So they just say the hell with it. You've got to figure out a way to play Sunday and then turn around on Thursday. It's all money. I don't know what else to say. I can be as honest this can be Michael Specs. Can Chip Kelly turn UCLA around? I I'm surprised that they haven't made as much progress. I think they're getting better. What he has not done well is he's not recruiting at a level that's going to turn him around to the degree that people thought. People that thought he's going to do at UCLA what he did at Oregon, that's not happening. He's not recruiting well enough to do it. So it hasn't happened. Now, is he doing his thing? Can he maybe find and develop his quarterback and refine his offense? And get? Yeah, I think they'll get better. I, I don't think they'll be awful anymore. I think they'll be competitive. I think they can go to bowl games. They're not doing what people thought he would do. And I'm not, I wasn't buying in that it was going to be Oregon all over again, but I thought it would be better than it is. So uh, Neil said yesterday on one of his podcasts he thinks UCLA and LSU would uh, possibly uh, be places Lane would go if he left. Um, well, UCLA, he's got he Lane grew up um, a lot in California. <laughs> I don't mean that figuratively. I mean he went to school at Fresno. He spent a lot of time out west. Um, obviously, spent time in Florida with his dad. Um, you know, families. But, but obviously his dream job was USC. Um, I think there are a number of jobs Lane would leave for. I think it's a job that has more resources and more, more chances. to. I think he would be intrigued by UCLA in that he feels like there's some, he would love the lifestyle. He loves that kind of I mean, like he liked Boca, and now he can go um, make good money to live kind of a lifestyle that he wants, recruit at a, at a fertile area that he's had success. Certainly right now, the UCLA job would be attractive for somebody that can recruit. UCLA's not recruiting all that well. Is, um, is, is Chip a really good coach? Yes, but he's as good a recruiter? No. If Lane got that opportunity... Um, there's not as much of a commitment to football at UCLA as there is at Ole Miss, but there's not as difficult a path. You could kind of do things, and particularly if USC is not doing them well, you, you can have some success. And uh, I think that's probably – LSU is a place that, of course, you would – I think that's one of the elite jobs, and he certainly would. He is very close with – with uh, Ed, but he would absolutely, I, I can tell you, 
Um, Lane's not Scott Woodward type of guy. That would not be the direction that that. Uh, so I don't think he'd have an opportunity for the Yellowshoe job. Um, but the UCLA job is possible. But they're not they're not ready to pull the plug on Chip Kelly yet because they don't want to spend the money on. Um, why were the owners against adding the extra bye week with another week of TV revenue? Yeah, we just mentioned that. Um, again, one thing that you can do is, so if you had an extra buy, as I'm proposing, you can sell the TV networks. You got 20 weeks of NFL football. So you can make more money from certain networks. But as I just mentioned, Nola Jack, it would decrease the value of the Sunday ticket, which is another revenue stream. So obviously they've done the math and they figure, I mean, I'm telling you, you don't believe, I mean, it's, if they, they will look in every nickel they can make, they will. And they're not, they're, that's, that is how it works on pork out. All the decisions, it's money, it's, it's money, it's money, it's more money, and it's that. It's its everything to do with that. That's the reason. All heck would break loose was when he went to LSU. Yeah, I don't, again, I don't, I don't. Um, if and when they need to make a move at um, at LSU, uh, knowing Scott Woodard and kind of knowing what he might, direction he might go, I think he has his sights set in another direction. We'll, we'll get to that at the appropriate time. Um, a couple of things that uh, I will mention here. Let's see, a couple of questions. Uh, let's see, where would I get the question? Uh, what are your favorite college football stadiums? I don't know about favorite. Um, I don't know if I have favorites. Well, I grew up going to games at Tiger Stadium in Baton Rouge. That's got a special feel to it. Um there's a lot of stadiums that are really, I don't know in particular order. I mean, you could go to like, in the Big Ten, you're going to have like Camp Randall is, is a place you ought to go to. I think Austin Stadium in Oregon is good. Washington's good. Um, but, you know, the best ones, uh, I think Kyle Field is great. I think Beaver Stadium is really good. I think certainly the Horseshoe and um, Notre Dame Stadium, uh, the Big House Memorial Stadium at Nebraska. Uh, I mentioned Kyle Field. Uh, uh, Kinnick is really nice. Um, I mean, a lot of the SEC ones are good. I mean, Jordan Hare, Sanford, um, Florida, Ben Hill, Griffith Stadium's good. Doak Campbell's really good. I tell you, just some off. I mean, you know, Clemson's really good. Um, you know, Alabama, I mean, I, it's not a complete list. I'm trying to do this off the top of my head. Um, places you should go that are maybe off your radar <clears throat> that, you know, all right, I'm not going to go there because that, that doesn't, you know, ring my bell from a football standpoint. But for different reasons that you – because I've had to go everywhere. Um, if you get a chance to go to West Point uh, – Mikey Stadium is unbelievable, and the setting there is phenomenal. You want to go there. Um, I mentioned Autzen. Autzen is the most quaint, collegiate, close to you, on top of you stadium you got in the Pac-12. Um, trying to kind of think it, but if you get a chance, I tell you, a beautiful setting is Folsom Field. In Colorado, that's a really good one. If you ever get a chance to go to UTEP Stadium um, in El Paso, oh, really, really nice, really, really nice. Again, probably have no reason to go there, but um, but, but you know, if you're there, you're traveling, and, and you know, you just it's some. I tell you now, um, the Rose Bowl is something now. Going to the Rose Bowl, UCLA game in the Rose Bowl is nice. Going to the Rose Bowl, and I've been to that many times. There is something about it, and they there's a reason why the game starts at the same time on New Year's Day. 
when um, when you look and when the sun goes down and uh, it, 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 it's, it's one of the more aesthetically beautiful stadiums because the sun goes down and um, San Gabriel Mountains, I mean, just, just unbelievable. You see the city. That, and here's the thing about it is it's like in this city of Pasadena. I mean, it's like it's like this sleepy town. It's not like big L.A. It's a sleepy town, and it's there. It's just a beautiful, picturesque setting, and for a big game, is good. Tell you, Lane Stadium is cool in, um, in Bleaksburg or Blacksburg, however you want to call it. Uh, I don't know. I, maybe I'll get into that. Uh, I have a little bit more time to think about it. NFL stadiums. Um, Got to go to Lambeau. Uh, go to Arrowhead. Uh, those are those are really really good. Seattle Stadium's new, one of the nicer new ones, and it's got a little bit of a uh, mystique to it. Um, Arrowhead and Lambeau are the most collegiate feeling stadiums um, that are around. Um, the loudest football game I've ever been to was when the Superdome reopened against the Falcons after Katrina because the stadium and it's so loud and, and um, obviously that was you know but that's that's loud and I, I don't know probably won't have me mention a dome stadium is one of the great stadiums but as domes go the Superdome is the best it's it stood the test of time when all the other domes have gone through different ones. So, um, let's see here. Um, how, Michael asks, how close is AM to challenging Alabama? Closer? It's not what you ask. Close? Nah. We'll see. I think Alabama's still a good bit ahead. If both are going into that game full strength, Alabama wins. It's, I think, Closer than last year, and and we'll see if the point spread could be similar or, or closer than last year. It ought to be. I mean, Alabama blew them out. I think AM's getting. I here's what I would say. I think that AM is closing in and may already be there as the number two program in the West. You worry about the stability at LSU. But it's LSU, it's A&M, it's A&M, it's LSU. I've got a piece that I'm going to do comparing both programs. But, I, you know, it's still Alabama and everyone else in the West. Could A&M beat them? Eh, it depends. Depends on that game and the circumstances. We've, we've seen it happen before, just not not very often. Um, But I think they're close in that. I think that they're the second best program in the West. They're still... Georgia's still the best program in the SEC, not named Alabama. They're more the most consistent. They're the, but A&M is right now the infrastructure and how they're building it. All of that looks really good. Now you can pick individual games and big moments and not faring well in big moments, but the infrastructure is a little bit different. Do you think Tulane, Nola Jackson, do you think Tulane can ever get to a point where they compete for the AAC championship? Um, they can get probably not all the way because that conference has gotten really good. What I think Tulane can be is be competitive because you take the top two or three teams, there's no doubt they can be, you know, more consistent and in the upper echelon, and, and I think Willie's done a good job there. And by the way, check out defensive line and the two good defensive linemen I got on my best for players returning in the country at each position list. Tulane's got a really good one, so maybe that's why Nola Jack's asking it. How good this team could be? I think they can be in the upper echelon of the AAC. So yeah, I think it can be. Are they? Do they have the resources and the recruiting resources? To compete and win it, probably not. They're going to need some help. But if you're in the if you're in the conversation, and I'm talking about one of the top four or five programs in that league, you at least got a shot. Right now, they're not there, but they can get to the top half dozen programs in that conference. Because outside of the top two or three, I mean, why not? I mean, they're they're two or three that 
that look really sustainable that Tulane will probably never get. But why can't they be in the top six? I think that's doable. Hey, appreciate everybody joining us for this edition of the Landry Football Podcast. We've got some other things, some other questions. We'll address it another time. Running out of time here. Appreciate the conversations. Appreciate uh, your involvement in the chat room. Uh, remind us uh, to check out everything over at LandryFootball.com. All the latest podcasts. TV shows on Twitch TV. You can catch this podcast live on twitch.tv slash chrislandryfootball. Appreciate you joining us. Uh, again, uh, have a great weekend. Check out all the latest at Landry Football. Well, we'll be breaking down all the rosters, all the teams. You got it there. We got it for you. So long, everybody. Have a great one. Talk soon.